Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Chapin Hemingway, joined as always by Jeremy Fisk and Lee Carlo, baby. We're switching it up. Um, I wanted to give our listeners a little insight into the Get Your Film Fix podcast behind the scenes. Um, You know, we don't have a ton of listeners. I'll say that. And so I'd like to use this opportunity to encourage everyone to... Just recommend the podcast. If you're listening now, recommend the podcast to a friend. Go back and find one of your favorite episodes, and you can share that either using Spotify or Apple Podcasts and send it to them. Text it to them and say, hey, listen to this. These guys are... (laughs) Insert. These guys are are something. You know, they're they're not nothing. (laughs) They're something. Um, But anyways, we have enough listeners that we can see trends in our episodes and like what's popular and what's not and it's cool to kind of look and see and follow along and strangely enough our podcast on um tarkovsky's stalker is one of our most popular of 2020 um and so we thought we'd you know go back and revisit uh another film from this era from the soviet union um and this week we'll be uh watching come and see directed by what's this guy's name Alam Klimov. Alam Klimov. And then we will be talking about our top five horrors of war scenes. These, these, uh, I don't want to dwell, despite my intro, dwell too much on the similarities between this film and Stalker, although that might be worth talking about, but I, I will say that there is something very distinct about these two movies and that they are very visual. Um, This film is strikingly visual, both in sort of the way it uses the camera to tell its story, the way it plays with our our cinematic conventions. Um, And in my opinion, it's it's unlike any other war film I've ever seen um, from a visual perspective. And I'm wondering, guys, what you think the function of those visuals are in this film? What purpose do they serve? Um, You know, we talked uh, last time my question about Stalker was about pacing and and time but now i'm wondering what's klimov how do you say it klimov what is the function of these visuals lee i think the whole movie is a function of the visuals i mean this movie you kind of said it is told through its shots there's not really a story there's some plot but unlike a lot of war movies that we talk about and that are you know among the more popular war movies there's not a there's not a narrative there's not a character arc necessarily in this movie um this movie is very much what the title is suggesting klimov is sort of inviting us to come and see what happened to these people 
and what happens during war. And I think the only way to really do that is to just use some sort of a visual style, some sort of technique. And and he does that in a number of different ways, and we'll get into them more specifically. But I, do, I think that's the, the ultimate function of the visuals in this movie is to to be this movie. I, it is essentially all this movie is, is what you're seeing on screen and how he's portraying it. We're not worried here about, you know, how the relationship between... Um, our main character, whose whose uh, name is Fedor Fleora, Fleora. We're not concerned Flora, about Flora. His relationship with the the girl he meets, Glasha. We're not concerned really about uh, his relationship with his mother, although that does play a pivotal uh, a- aspect of the movie. It's more about what he is seeing and what we are seeing, and that ultimately comes down to the visuals. That's what this movie is. Yeah, he. Reminds me a little bit um, of Sergio Leone in that way, in that every he's telling the story simply through these visuals, and the story he's telling is sort of the horrors of war and this young boy who sort of gets caught up in it, maybe is excited to to, to be a part of it at the beginning, and just all he goes through through this, you know, the journey he takes on this film. And um, it's super impactful. I mean, that's uh, that's the bottom. I mean, he, it, it's not just the visuals. It's weird. It's not just the visuals. He's you know, when you think about on you know behind the camera, it's also the visuals of the performances. He's using people that are very sort of unique looking um, to to get across this story. And I think that the casting was, you know, very much because of their looks. Uh, You know, not that the, they didn't give good performances because I think when we'll talk about it, there's some amazing performances in this. Um, But yeah, everything is, uh, yeah, like I said, it's like Leone, everything in the frame is telling, telling a story. Jeremy, are we, are you recording this feed? we're hearing now because this sounds like not your mic just want to make sure i am recording it it may have switched over because i unplugged it okay um i think those are good answers i don't know that we're quite hitting it though i, I do think you i mean I, I get that i get that this is everything in the frame is telling a story but it i, I feel like he's doing something more with it but like more specifically i mean this is this is a movie about um it's a movie about uh the sort of Nazi occupation of Belarus and the, the sort of atrocities that the Nazis uh, dealt to the Russian people in this area. And it's told through the eyes of this young boy who's excited to sort of join the resistance. And I mean, you know, there's a lot of this film, a surprising amount of this film is this close is a close up of our main character looking right into camera with a sort of befuddled, almost terrified look in his face. And I think we're meant to think about, I think to me that shot is suggesting we are meant to understand that we're seeing everything through his eyes. Um, I mean, it's not, it's not like it's a, that's not like a subtle thing. Um, we're seeing all these terrible things happen and then you cut to him looking right at us and he's got this horrified look on his face and all these awful things happen to him. Um, 
And I think it's a very, very effective technique, but it definitely is disconcerting. It's not how you often see things in movies, and it's so unique. And I want to know... I want to know... And it's not just of... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's not just the visuals, the way he does that with the visuals. He does that with the sound design, too. Yes. It's an amazing sound design. I mean, there's a point where our main character sort of loses his hearing because of some bombs that are going off. I mean, there's a good, like, 25 minutes where everything is muted. Um, And he just kind of plays with that as a sense of tension. I mean, it's it's amazing the the noises that he decides to bring up and and keep low and the constant hum and the ringing <clears throat> or like just the whole. It, he does with visuals uh, also here with sound. It's pretty amazing and to put you in his sort of point of view and perspective as you're you're going through this with him. Uh, back to your point, Jape, and I think he's kind of calling back a little bit of the expressionist era of film with those those shots on on face on the faces almost going back as far as like silent era uh movies because they're very exaggerated it's almost like theater like in that in that regard and i think you're right that it's trying to emphasize how atrocious what we're seeing is and for that reason i actually found it le- that aspect less effective in this movie because what we were seeing for a lot of this movie was atrocious. I could see that with my own eyes. I didn't necessarily need the overt reaction staring at the camera uh, from our main character to tell me that. I, I think it was unique. I think it was interesting. And I think there's a lot of different techniques that Klimov uses in this movie that that make it sort of an interesting movie to study. But that, to me, was all secondary. The, the effectiveness of this film <laughs> is its effectiveness in what we're seeing and, and the horrors of war. Um, the sound design, I think, played more into that aspect than I think some of the visuals that you're talking about, Chapin. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, it should also be noted, like, it's kind of amazing watching this movie with the set design and everything he gets away with. Like, there clearly aren't any sort of animal rights rules or, um caring about how what you're you're putting your young actors through i'm sure that none of this would be legal in the united states but it all it's super effective in the end well in my research there's a there's a lot about the the authentic nature of the, the production of this film you know using real artillery and actually killing animals and you know there's there's some that sounds to me like bullshit like the the main actor um, who is Ale- Alexi Kov fuck <laughs> Alexi- that's actually how you pronounce it Alexi Alexi Kravchenko uh, supposedly had bullets ten centimeters above his head I mean I do okay. I think like, honestly I'd believe it that, I, I that don't scene, believe that that, that but- scene when they're firing those tracer rounds that's real those are I know. real so I know that real it, rounds. but. It, but my, and I know they use real so bullets obvious. and real artillery, and but that that little note, that piece of trivia, sounded a little bit like bullshit to me. But like they, I'm pretty sure they killed a cow because that shot on the cow's eye, oh, yeah. was unreal. They like you've never killed. seen anything so authentic, and it's kind of amazing 
how he does that. And that authenticity totally plays a part. I mean, something is, you know, as I, I wanted to say simple, it's not simple, but the scene where they're dragging a woman by her hair for like a good 30 seconds across the screen. Yeah, there is, was no stunt person there. Right, that was, that. I mean, and that makes it all the more jarring and effective. And, you know, and we can, another, we can question whether or not it's necessary, but... In that same sequence when they're burning the barn, spoiler alert, the guy jumps out from the bell tower and they're, you know, he just, they just narrowly miss him with those Molotov cocktails. And like, they're not doing that. They're not spraying that gasoline very precisely. And right. it just barely misses him. He just goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very clear. I mean, they put so much, so much work into like the sets and building the villages and then they like they literally blew up forests and took down trees that, that and, sequence like, was incredible it, it's just amazing to watch can, can we uh, and, and it's can we structure this conversation a little bit like we're like we're all kind of gushing over how amazing this stuff was because it's a lot of stuff we've never seen before and i think as film nerds it's really easy to be like holy shit like he was instead of using stunt doubles and pyrotechnics he just bombed a fucking village (laughs) and killed a cow and i think that that stuff's amazing but i i do i do want to kind of structure our conversation just in the sense of like using chapin's opening question because like I like my answer to that question was that the visuals entire entirely tell this story, and maybe you can interpret certain one certain aspects of that differently, um, you know, because he uses some interesting techniques like playing basically a whole sequence in reverse, which maybe there is like you're supposed to kind of interpret the film and like what you're supposed to what what is really supposed to be happening, you know, is maybe like one decision he that was made you know they show this picture of of hitler as a baby i think like maybe you're supposed to infer that like if someone just fucking shot hitler that none of this stuff would have happened you're you're going out of reverse i mean the whole the whole that whole sequence is is in reverse in a weird way i know for a long time too which was is interesting so anyway he uses all these interesting techniques and but they're all visuals there's no story really in this movie i mean there's a little bit, but it's no, more there's just like, definitely a story. I mean, there's more of a story than Stalker for sure. Not even though well, I, that's true. Um, what I like, I don't know. This was this was like my this was the big moment in the movie for me that I that I was um, like sucked in. So I, I mean, I have to admit, I was sort of my my focus on this movie was sort of ebbing and flowing for maybe the first thirty minutes or so, and. It's a, it's a slow-moving Russian movie, you know, similar to a lot of what we discussed with Stalker. It kind of demands your your attention. And I, I found that, like, maybe I, I wasn't, like, 100% paying attention, and then all of a sudden I'd realized that I was just fully engrossed. And when that first happened was the scene when they're crawling through the mud. And I've never seen such an effective use of aspect ratio as in that scene. Because he has the four by three aspect ratio, and you and he's right up onto the left side of that, crawling through the mud. So you don't know how much further he has to go, and he's just crawling through this thick, thick mud swamp with a the girl kind of hanging on his back, telling him just not to bother because his whole family's dead. Even though he thinks he's going to find him on the other side of this this bog, and 
that they all also went through that swamp right. to get there. And but it's that scene that is where this movie suddenly became like a jaw dropping experience because I was I, I admit I was just like I'm sort of like half in on this movie. I'm watching it, but it's you know it's got Russian subtitles, but that's not keeping or it's got subtitles in a Russian language. It's not keeping me from looking at my phone every you know two minutes. And then I would find myself in scenes like that and in scenes like the the bombing of the jungle and then of course the final scene just entranced by what I was seeing on screen and I wouldn't realize it until I was t- 5 or 10 minutes into the scene and I was like I man I haven't I haven't blinked in 10 minutes and I think well, let's talk that's about sort of amazing that a little bit <clears throat> why so I I'm kind of the same way except for I you know I I gave it a good effort at the beginning um and and I found parts of it to be engaging and interesting but um overall pretty much the same like that's about the point where i really started to just be sucked in and and sucked in from then on um and i think and and i wonder why that is okay i i know why at that point i got sucked in because all of a sudden our main character there's has just discovered his family's dead, and now there's some huge stakes. Mm-hmm. But before that, it was hard to f- it. It was hard. I don't know if it was a, being a different culture, or a different language, or what it was. But it was hard to relate to these characters up until that point. It was the you know just the way they moved, the way they interacted with each other was a bit bizarre. Um, you know, an example is that very first scene when they're digging for guns in the trenches and that other kid there is just like barking like a dog and and talking in a like demonic voice right. for seemingly no reason. And then this old guy's like, don't do it. Don't dig for guns. And I'm just like, what is what is happening right now? Um, so and then the way that he, the kid interacted with his mom at the beginning, the mom's crying, the, the little girls are laughing. He seems to be um, laissez faire about the whole thing. And so I'm like, what uh, what's happening here? How are these? How, why do these people relate to each other this way? Why is there not more interact like binding interaction there what's going on like that seemed to be a cultural difference for me at that point but then once he joins the militia and really i mean really once he discovers his family's dead i just sort of was there with him and understood the his feelings and empathized with him moving forward well and that's what i think is interesting i I think we were we work really hard watching movies like this in Stalker. Like we're we're we almost like have to engage into this hyper focus to make sure we're paying attention because we know that there's a there's a cultural difference, there's a language barrier, there's all these different things that we have to get past. And what was so great about this movie is that all of a sudden that didn't matter. No long I didn't have to be hyper focused anymore. Yeah. I was just engrossed and that's what I really appreciated about this because there's certain things about that cultural difference and that language barrier that we're never going to be able to get past. So when this movie was able to just take over and, and enable me to, you know, be engrossed in it, I, I sort of, as much as I, what I was watching was difficult. I appreciated that I was able to just watch it and understand it. There are these long sequences in the film. You mentioned the beginning, Jeremy, 
there's also that there's also I'm trying to think of another one, but um where you where it ends and you're just like what what was the what was the point of that? What was the intention there? Um and it takes up a lot of screen time and right that reminded me of like all of Stalker, but I think <laughs> Um, <laughs> all I, three hours of stalker. Yeah, all three hours of stalker. But uh, yeah, I, and I wonder what that is. I wonder if that's part of the language of Soviet cinema. This sort of, um, like all that stuff with w- was that a stork or whatever kind of bird that was? It was such a weird looking bird that was kind of stalking them. Yeah, I was like that. I couldn't believe that's in Russia. Yeah, that seems like a Everglades bird. Yeah, and it was. And they spend all this time in like the ball, you know, there's not, there's this sort of, you know, weird meandering plot where you're like, you know, what's like where you're thinking, I mean, it's, it's sort of fascinating to look at and you're not, I wasn't bored by it and you're engrossed in it, but you're sort of like, is this the best use of time to tell a movie about (laughs) the the world war two where she's like dancing on the stump or whatever. And, um, yeah, I wonder what what that is culturally. Like, is that, is that, is there something different about the way, the Soviets viewed film that allowed for that. Well, uh, ru- or how uh, do they, how do they uh, express emotion? Because I feel like even up into that point, and even throughout the whole film, really, it's one of two things: they're either like laughing or sobbing horrifically. Like there's very little. There's very little sort it's, of. It's like in between banter juxtaposition. I, we're, I mean, we're going to become experts on it because our, our Soviet-era film podcasts are going to be our most successful, so we're just going to keep yeah. watching. We're going to become the Russian movie People film podcast. Like, have, you, have you heard of that so- Soviet film podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> they only do movies from 1975 yeah. to 1990 yeah. <laughs> from Russia. Um, okay. But, all right. I want to now go back to the faces, the point that Chapin brought up. Um, now that we've kind of delved into our, I, w- I will say our, quickly, um, if you guys want to remind yourselves and also if our listeners don't know what we're talking about, that actually IMDb has a really good resource of a lot of those shots on the IMDb page. So if you'd like to see what we're talking about, you can just click the images in IMDb, but sorry. And, Lee, go ahead. and even the poster, the poster shot, I mean, it's a, it's a sort of a, existential-ish version of it, but it's it's like that. The character's kind of looking with a very obvious expression on his face. Um, like I said, to me, that, that, that lended something that I didn't feel like this movie needed. Um, every time I saw um, Fleora's face reacting to whatever he had just seen is the same things that we had seen. I, I I am capable of that reaction. I didn't need that aid. But it's not, I don't think it's about you or me or the audience. I think it's about his journey too, because his performance is amazing in this. I think it's one of my favorite child performances I've ever seen. And the way he sort of ages with this movie in a short yeah, amount of freaky. time. Supposedly he it, really did too. Supposedly that actor got like gray hairs making I, this movie. I don't know about that. But <laughs> that one I might not believe. Um, he, this but, ten centimeter, it's ten centimeters over his head. You're on board. <laughs> but it's but his his reactions in those close-ups of his faces isn't just about the audience. It's about 
it's about his character and the journey he's going through too. It's not just that we saw something horrific and we need to see how he feels about it because it also goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, which was to me a bit of a cultural mystery, but it kind of worked for the overall arc of his character because he was so like, uh, I guess he didn't, he didn't seem to care all that much or maybe even was excited about joining the militia Mm -hmm. and, like so to go from that to to throwing him into the middle of a no holds bar just terrible circumstances where with nazis just you know having absolutely no empathy for human life whatsoever and him somehow making it through it's it, it's i think those shots are what are really effective in what it's going to be sort of scarred on my mind forever about this movie. Like when I think of this movie, I'm going to think of his face. I agree. That's interesting. Cause see for me and what you're saying is, is true and is correct. And that's all there. But for me, he was more a surrogate for the audience. So I think he was both. Uh, and I think so too. But the way I responded to it was that he was just the surrogate for the audience. So, uh, you know, the, the one scene where I really, felt like okay this this guy's been through it and i felt like there was a a character in this movie is when they're holding the gun to his head for a photo op and i mean that's that was one of the trillion atrocious things that was happening during that maybe 30 minute sequence but that was the moment where i kind of said okay here's a character we've been following you know that we care about that's seen the worst imaginable things. And it's probably in a situation here where he might be thinking, God, what, what's worse them killing me or them letting me go. And I think you feel for him in that moment. But other than that, I, I, he served this very specific purpose for me to kind of take me from the beginning of this movie through to the, through to the end, allowing me to, come and see everything that happens happened during World War II to these people in these villages, supposedly, according to the title card at the end, 628 documented times, which is a staggering number, um, considering what we saw yeah. happen. And know what else this movie does really well by the end of it? Because it's so good at putting you into the moment. Like, you literally wonder how so many people can have no sympathy and no empathy for other humans like how can a uh you know an army of people sort of just do the things that they did you know lock people in a barn throw molotov cocktails at them and burn the barn while you know they're having a grand old time mob mob mentality um I mean, there's a whole lot of psychology we can get into with that. I mean, you could argue there's some sort of a version of that happening to us right now where a, a large number of people don't care enough about their fellow human that they don't want to wear masks to protect people. Yeah, but, but I but mean, that's, it's not quite as immediately different. violent, but yeah, it's... exactly. Okay, but it's, it's different in that sense, but it's, it's a psychological question that we can have. And this movie explores psychology in an interesting way. I mean, how, how do people... I mean, you you talked about how this character literally appears to age throughout this film. Like, how do these things impact impact people? And look, we talked about 
Klimov's intent on being authentic and using real artillery and portraying just absolutely horrific things in this movie. Um, Olga Mironova, who plays Glasha, the young girl that he meets and spends maybe 30, 45 minutes with in this movie, never acted again. This is her one and only credit. Um, Klimov himself never directed another movie after this. So who knows why? I mean, his explanation is that he felt like he'd done all he, all he could do with film, but... He's like, I'm finished. I mean, this movie is sort of an ultimate mic drop, <laughs> but uh, I, I just think like it's an example of the tolls that these types of things can take on people, both in the frame of the movie and you know behind the cameras like i think when you're doing something like this you're you're getting at some dark places within you know people's minds and what they can handle yeah Oof. all right well let's get into this let's get into the last the raid scene of the village because it's what based, prompted my idea for our top five most horrific yeah it's a candidate for that list scenes. <laughs> I think it would be my number one, if uh, if very, it qualified. Very influential too, and which is strange, but in film, very influential. I believe there's a similar but scene just, in the film you were just watching, The Patriot. It's it's funny. I was telling Chapin, I was I've been watching The Patriot because it's on Netflix, which Brilliant. interestingly enough is a movie that I saw several times in theaters and really really liked at the time and i'm watching it i'm like god this is just a atrocious script jeremy don't you Um, own that i remember borrowing that from you when we were roommates oh probably probably Um, just an absolutely atrocious script some really bad acting aim small small yes but uh there's a there's a scene very reminiscent of what we see in this where where the the british uh soldiers uh gather a village into a church and lock the doors and burn it down um, and it was immediately, it, I, th- I, I saw this movie and I immediately thought of the Patriot and, and then coincidentally <laughs> <laughs> watched it. But of course I thought of movies like Schindler's List as well. Um, you know, I, I think it's a, that, that scene has had an well, enormous impact. I'm more talking, <clears throat> I'm also talking film. about like how he shot it and just the whole thing of how much time we spend there, how much of the land we see, how many, how, how the extras move together. And it's chaos too. How, and it works. How, yeah. And just how he put that all together, just the details of it, the fire, the everything that he encompasses in that, in those scenes. It's, it's just, it's, in a weird way, like very beautiful to it's almost ultimate filmmaking. It's maybe sort of a perfect filmatic experience set aside the, the subject matter. Again, this was another scene like that scene when he's crawling through the mud where I was just, it it was, I, I was 10 minutes into the scene and I was like, I haven't, I haven't blinked. I haven't like had a, another thought. Uh, you know, you're watching it and you are so engrossed in what's happening for so many reasons. The stuff you're talking about just from a filmmaking standpoint, but also obviously the stuff that you're seeing happen on screen is is horrible and it's difficult to watch. I don't tend to have a real hard time with, you know, hard things to watch on screen. Like I can I can understand that what I'm watching is a, a recreation in many senses, but watching this that you're didn't like, feel like one well that's it's not so much that it didn't feel like one it's it, it is sometimes you do 
it does as soon as it crosses your mind that like shit this is something that really happened then it becomes more personal not that it's happened to you but you start to empathize and it and it becomes that much more difficult to watch jesus christ chapin <laughs> chapin agrees um yeah i i think uh but I, I think you need to drill down a little bit more on that that scene is focused on different things like compare i mean the patriot's a bad example but like Compare that scene to the film in the page, that scene in the Patriot. They're focused on different things. They're not showing. It takes you. They go into the barn. They they herd these people into the barn. I believe that takes ten seconds in the Patriot. It takes about ten minutes in. Yeah. Come and see. They're in there, and then they're they're waiting and kind of torturing them. And there's a the film just lingers in this weird way. You're like, what's going on? Like they're in the barn. You're almost like wanting them to burn it down or do something. Cause nothing's yeah, you think happening. They're gonna just, you think cause the <laughs> soldiers are up top. You think they're going to shoot them or something. Yeah. Like- and, um, but it, 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 it lingers. And then, and then you don't, there's like, you don't really under, there's, I, I would just say like the difference between this and a movie like the Patriot, which like very much plays by Hollywood rules and uh, of convention. So conventional. Yeah. Is that, um, there are no rules. Like they put these people in there. They wait a long time. The, the audience is expecting this, something awful to happen. And it eventually does. But our main character gets out of the, like he somehow, I guess he like agrees to the no. If you leave the kids behind um, request by the German soldier, he says the German shoulders soldier says, which I guess is based on a real account that if you leave your kids in the barn, you can you can come out. And yeah, how, how disturbing is that? It's based on a real account because a guy left his wife and kids there. Yeah, and then told and was able so was able to tell the so story. So that's I mean that's a story in and of itself. But yeah, uh, of course, movie. Flora doesn't have any kids, but he sneaks out, and then the film decides to. I mean, you know, we we see the burning down, and it's terrible. And I think what's interesting about I mean, again, it's it's. I, I'm glad we brought up the Patriot because you could comp- you can kind of see why this movie is unconventional. We do watch it burn down, but it's not like the evil Jason Isaacs or whatever right. his name is, like yep. yeah. taking a a torch and you know putting it in there. But it's like every German soldier taking a bottle of uh, Molotov cocktail and then and then they're spraying it with um you know, flamethrowers. And then, so our character gets out, we see it burn. It's terrible. There's this big lead up to it. And then he is, there's a sort of mock execution photographed on, um, by the Nazis. They, they pose with with him. He and like four German soldiers pose, uh, with a, with a gun to his head and there's a photo taken and then they just kind of let him go. And it's, it's, it's sort of just, it feels so random and, 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 uh, you don't really. It just makes you think about like what are the, what is it? What are they trying to say with this? It's so interesting, but it's also like it makes you kind of believe it more. Like there's a there's a distance you have to scenes like like uh, like we describe in, in the Patriot because it's you're just like oh yeah that's ha- that this is happening the way I believe it unfolds. But the right. but the sort of the 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 way this is told so unconventionally kind of makes you think like is this real? Is this like, is this how well, it happened? Like, like well, it's that so my, strange that you wonder that if it's based on a real account. Well, that was my point to answer your opening question about this movie. Is that like that final scene, like what's the plot in that final scene? 
Yeah. It's not about that. It's about anger. It's about coming and seeing the atrocities of war, the horrors of war that this that this character has witnessed, and now you are witnessing it. And what makes it so unique and so different from other war movies, whether it's The Patriot, whether it's Schindler's List, whether it's Saving Private Ryan, is there's not this narrative that we are concluding here. There's with with Schindler's List that you know the end of that movie we we see Schindler break down and, and after he's, has freed all these Nazis, we, we see Do you know how Private Liam Neeson got that role. <laughs> he's always been making lists. Um, and saving private Ryan, we see, you know, we see Matt Damon get rescued. We see in the Patriot, we see the revolution come together on the battlefield. And, but it's, it's just, there's no plot in that final scene. We are literally watching, the worst imaginable thing that could happen during war. And he tells us, interestingly, before the movie actually ends, it's the title card pops up and then there's a couple scenes following it, that this happened 628 times. A scene that we just watched where all these people in the village were killed and the Nazis just kind of laughed about it as they did it. And I think that's the point of this movie is it's not... And that and that's where my argument with and, and I understand that the the main character has has an arc and has a has a journey, but that's not what this movie is to me. This movie is literally what the title is suggesting, which I've said several times now. It's just coming and seeing the horrors of war and doing it in the most authentic way Klimov could imagine. And that's why this movie is like nothing we've seen before. It's that aspect. We've seen a character journey through war before we fucking saw it with nineteen seventeen. It's it's you know, arguably a similar journey where here we see something so much more graphic and, and surreal. Um, yeah. And there's just to go back to the filmmaking aspect, there's just such a richness to it. It's the same as in stalker to me. I like, I love it. It's this like, no, this has way more depth to everything you can feel and see and touch and like you think so stalker yeah stalker felt like we can't move the camera a little bit to the right or can't move it a little bit to the left because you know there's a hotel over there or something sure, and you get in the shot was, see, I felt, from I, a location's point of view i felt but the this same just way felt so this. vast and no way that's consistent that was the aspect ratio point about this movie that i loved like it's so it's so tight like everything is so no. enclosed well, you can't see that, what's on either side of the frame that's what i loved about it Oh, this film is, I feel like, a much bigger scale than Stalker. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it is, for sure. But I don't think that has to do with the scope. I think... I do. I just think because it, it's not just the the frame. It's also everything you see within the frame is so, so detail-oriented with the sound design, with the set design. Uh, it's just... You just you, they really put you in that place. I thought Stalker had some of that though. I mean, I agree with what you're saying that this movie this movie emphasizes its authenticity a lot more. I mean, Stalker essentially is creating this this world that no one's been in, so they can do whatever they want. It can be minimalistic or it can be expansive, it doesn't matter. Whereas in this movie, they're recreating real life, so they have to make sure that they're capturing that. And I think this movie does it really effectively. Um I, I just think kind of the the richness that you mentioned i think is similar in both films like you have and i think that was sort of the point in stalker you go from this sepia tone opening in stalker into this into this zone 
that I think is much richer in, in color. And there's a lot of this very rich green forest and lush green forest look. And, and I think that was similar just in terms of whatever the color that palette and the Russian film stock is, is striking sharp. Yeah. 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 It's so is this, is this a masterpiece? So that's the last thing I wanted to get to. I mean, this is, this is on the top of so many lists. I mean, this is on this, this is an IMDb's top two fifty. Wow. That means users yeah, like I mean, it. I think I would say the last the last 45 minutes to an hour is a masterpiece for sure. I mean, I've never seen anything like that in my life. No, I mean, again, this is where I wonder about the cultural aspects of this because I think the filmmaking is so just minute to minute is so powerful and the character Fiora is so he's just, he's like the perfect vessel for this film. But I, I did question like, is that the best choice? Like, was that an easy choice to just, I mean, you put a kid into world war two, he's going to be wide eyed and he's going to have a emotionally traumatic time. I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if you know that felt a little manipulative to me, but let's let's ignore that for that for a second. Um, what did you guys think about the ending? To me, the ending was a little like, oh, interesting. What with the Hitler? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's shooting. So it ends yeah. with uh, there's a this poster they've been <laughs> trucking around Belarus of Hitler the Liberator, um, and it, he sees it in a puddle of mud and. For, for the first time, get, you know, is able to use his rifle that he finds in the beginning of the movie and shoots this A little bit poster. of excessive force on that poster. A little bit. <laughs> shoots, shoots like well, 700 I, what I, times. I, I don't know. I mean, it was interesting. It definitely was unique, I think, for the time and whatever. But what I really did like was this whole thing sort of kicked off with him finding this rifle and then he goes through all this shit and you just expect him to kill somebody eventually with that rifle and he never does. And yeah. I think that was smart of the filmmaker. But I mean the, the idea of like, sh- like, and then the focus on Hitler and like going back, I mean, it was powerful in the sense that like you, you see, you know, you've seen this movie through the eyes of this 13 year old boy, the atrocities you've seen how it's literally turned his hair gray. And then you end on a, shot of Hitler as a baby. It and I wonder like, bit... is that, what is that saying? Is that saying like, you know, we're all born on a clean slate. It felt a little bit like that was a, uh, an, I... an exorcism of sorts of demons for Klimov. Like maybe like this is, you know, him capping his movie with this message that he hated Adolf Hitler and that's fair but it felt maybe like it was out of place for what else, for everything else that we saw throughout the movie um, I don't know I didn't have a huge problem with the end but the end to me fell into the same category as some of the parts of the beginning of this movie where it was trying to establish this character, trying to establish a narrative, and it was the less effective parts of this movie. I was oddly reminded watching this, or really not so much watching it, but thinking about this movie, I was reminded of our argument about Requiem for a Dream, where 
you know, you guys felt like the lack of character development in that movie was an obstacle despite the effectiveness of that movie. And here, for me, it wasn't so much character development, but it was the, the absence of a plot and a story that I kind of found tricky to get past in the moment while I was watching. So scenes like that just didn't work as well for me. It, it was after the fact. Everything about this movie that I love was all after the fact. The way that this movie is burned into my brain, the things that I saw on screen, the way that it was captured, the way that it was filmed, that's all the stuff that worked. And it was all after the fact. On a minute-to-minute basis watching this movie, you know, there were times where I was fully engrossed, but it wasn't necessarily something I was like, hey, great movie. <laughs> but... <laughs> But after the fact, like, I just appreciated so much about what was done here. But that final scene was sort of the character arc, the narrative, the, the story that I felt like was missing here. So to have that there felt out of place, felt like it was unnecessary or some variation of that. Yeah. Or at least just, yeah, so just didn't need it. I, I felt kind of what I liked about the shooting of the Hitler thing is and I, what I think he was going for is it put the whole movie then put context to actually what this sort of historical figure we all know Hitler's bad I mean basically that's you know the butt of a joke if you call you know somebody a Hitler or how like oh wow that's terrible you know like Hitler becomes this mythic figure for everybody and then what this movie sort of does with that ending is go no this is because of his actions these are the things that happened so it sort of personalizes the evil um, with Hitler it's that sentiment that bothers me because that is the that's what I thought initially and if that's the case I have a problem with it because Uh, okay why because See, I didn't like the baby part, but go ahead. Because the, I mean, World War II is not, it's not the fault of Adolf Hitler. I mean, there's a lot of. He certainly didn't help. He certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly didn't help. But I mean, you know, it's obvious. Like, obviously, on a very basic level, you're right. Like, <laughs> Hitler is a terrible person who, you know, but. It's it's it isn't the one evil person that kind of totem that we're talking about in a sophisticated conversation. It's like, you know, the, the, the that people went along with it. The, the the hatred of people, racism, the the um uh, you know the the inability of people to stand up to him, and the you know I mean even from a historical standpoint, obviously anti-Semitism and. Um, you know, German nationalism was not limited to Hitler. I so I, I think that's just a sort of a myopic, little bit of a narrow perspective. If that's what they're saying, to me, I think what if what was interesting about that sequence was kind of ending on that baby and being and, and sort of su- suggesting like this is a that baby is a version of Fiora. You know, like that baby hasn't seen the world hasn't seen the the atrocities hasn't seen what we've now watched Fiora see. Yeah, that's a good theory. Um, I wonder, depending on your interpretation of that scene, 
how you feel about the idea of that of maybe Tarantino borrowing something about this for Inglorious Bastards. What? Tarantino borrow something? I know it's strange <laughs> to hear, but um, no, I definitely thought about that. I definitely thought about that. Especially with the, that last shot when you see the baby and this like sort of idea of like, oh, let's kill Hitler and solve the problem, and then he does his his version of what happens in Inglorious Bastards and. But if you take Chapin's interpretation, then then that reference or homage doesn't really play. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, I like that it's open for interpretation. Of course, I always like that with movies. Um, I think Chapin's is a little bit more thought out and interesting than to just say, you know, oh, it was if we kill Hitler, then we can stop this war but the reverse playback suggests that it's that simple as we're watching him yeah shoot this yeah like, i didn't even think of it as like oh we can if we had killed hitler early we would have got we would have prevented all this i i sort of saw it as putting putting um you know putting hitler like something to hitler's legacy other than other than just sort of the ultimate devil because the playback is not just like playing back the things we've seen in the movie we see like buildings that were bombs being put back together we see all sorts of different things that happen over the many years of world war ii so that that sequence is suggesting in some way that had something different happened none of this would have happened and that's all happening while he's shooting the shit out of a poster of a that says hitler the liberator so i don't know how else we're really supposed to interpret that it seems very on the nose Um, which this movie is pretty on the nose i mean it's not subtle in a lot of the things it portrays but i found this interesting article that i'd love to send to you guys i wish i had read this before the podcast but um, there's a quote from Tra- Francois Truffaut. So you were, you were reading it during the podcast? I was. Reading Francois an article during the podcast? Truffaut saying, every film about war ends up being pro-war. Would you guys agree with that for this film? I don't... What's his basis? Yeah, the, what's I feel his like, argument? That seems like something you just kind of say to be contrarian. Just that if you if you make a movie about war... It's gonna well, it's gonna turn I, out to be pro war. I I understand that only in the sense that like it's very easy to to glorify scenes from a filmmaking standpoint. But like there's no way that this movie is pro war. But it's a lot of movies that aren't. I mean I've heard that argument a lot about like air, about uh Black Hawk Down like that it just like it it, but it how, makes how it look so ever... cool that like it glorifies and makes it seem like this you know it and it changed the narrative a little bit about why the battle of Mogadishu happened and things like that. But, um, I don't necessarily agree with that, that sentiment, especially since a lot of these movies that we watch are based on wars that happened a long time ago. And we know the history and the ramifications. So we know that they're not necessarily celebrating those things. Speaking of history, how much of this did you guys actually know? None. Because no, I, I didn't know none. anything. Yeah. yeah, I had no idea that the Germans were, what? you know, I knew the Russians were involved in World War Two, but that was this it. Many I thought Russians. they helped. I thought they were like the Russians came and helped defeat the Nazis, not the other way around. They did. Well, yeah, they did. Eventually, I know, but I didn't yeah. know about. I mean, that's kind of the thing, though. Like with World War Two, 
specifically because it deals with the Holocaust. You know, we learn about aspects of it growing up in school. And like, I always remember learning like, okay, so the U S won the war against the Nazis and the Russians helped. But like, I didn't, beyond that, like I didn't know any, any stories obviously. So it's interesting to kind of see that like, of course, if the Russians were involved in the war, then they probably were dealt, you know, uh, the bad part of it too. Like it's, and that's what this movie portrays. And it's interesting to kind of see it from a Russian's perspective. And that's something that I'm always going to struggle with. Unfortunately, I think with these, these types of movies, unless what I suggested happens and we become experts on Russian cinema, um, is just this understanding of Russian culture and Russian history. Like the way that we understand (laughs) The way that we understand the American Revolution allows us to enjoy the Patriots so much. Okay, but that is a good point. Like, you can, I mean, you look. I don't want to step on our top fives a little bit, but you look at some some war movies, and you could leave with your your example of of uh, Black Hawk Down is a, a very sort of, you know, it's a obvious one. But I'm glad you brought it up. Um, Yes, war is hell. I don't think you leave that movie feeling that way. No. I think you, you leave like, that movie feeling like holy shit, we like even though we kind of lost that battle, yeah. America kicked the shit out of those people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, exactly. and 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 you know, like you you open Saving Private Ryan, I'm stepping on my own top 5 here. That's an awful sequence, the the uh the beaches of Normandy, but then the film progresses and it becomes, I don't know that that that's what that movie is saying. I don't think that movie, you know, at the end of the day, it, it seems kind of worth it. You know, I don't think the, Oh, that movie is definitely saying that it's worth it. I don't think the intention of movies is necessarily, I mean, some might be, but it's, is not to say, or not to be pro war. Um, I mean, like take platoon, for example, like that movie is not pro war. It's not meant to be pro war. Oliver Stone's intention was certainly not for that movie to be pro war. Sure. Sometimes they just turn out that way. To to borrow a line from Black Hawk Down, nobody asked to be a hero. Sometimes it just turns out that way. No movie asked to be pro war. Sometimes it just turns out that way. Um, uh, I I think some movies have like the uh, you know whatever I haven't even seen it but I'm sure Mark Wahlberg's last soldier standing or whatever probably Lone, was a Lone Survivor Lone Survivor so Lone that, Survivor that came up on a bunch of my research list for like most authentic war movies mine too let's move on to that guys um, ultimately I just want to get your your final opinions uh, Lee recommend <laughs> yes that's god damn it that's the maybe a good question. christmas movie you're always looking for a movie to watch with you know, miles with, yeah yeah with your kids and <laughs> or you know like with your mom and dad you know i i'm going to give a similar recommendation that i gave for stalker with this movie is that i think it's a movie that is required viewing if you're interested in film and the history of film and I feel like it's a bit you, of a cop out bit of a cop out that answer what do you want me to say I, I want you to say not, if you liked it or not I did not like watching this I was 
totally engrossed by some of the scenes. I have not stopped thinking about it since I finished watching it. That's a recommendation. But I did not enjoy this movie, and not because it was horrible with the things on screen, but it's it's hard to fucking watch a Russian movie that's two and a half hours long. Yeah, this it's coming not from how the guy I want to spend my who, Friday nights. You you like you can't win. You can't have the you can't speak in English and have the accent. You can't speak in Russian <laughs> in real Russian. What, no, what are we supposed to do here? It's better. It's better that they okay. Be American. Here's the thing. Yeah. No, there's foreign language films that are are much more engaging than some of these Soviet films are. I mean, we've talked about Copy sort that. of okay, the slow fine. nature of their openings. I mean, Jeremy, this is this is a, a very this is an iconically well made movie. Jeremy, all right, I highly highly recommend. I think, I think I'm, I'm I w- sorry. Yeah, so I'm the guy that. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you're the asshole. You're the, in the Philistine. The, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, cinematically, it's just like mind blowing. Uh, and it also just engages all your senses and makes you think about it long after so i would yeah i think this movie is amazing but who are you recommending I mean, a, it to though like that's the question it's, it's a, like, a recommendation what did you, what did, what did you turn into <laughs> what, what, who do you mean like what do you mean i just who am i recommending like, it to i'm basing on my viewing of it i the think 30 it's people great. who would i recommend it episode so would i recommend it to my mother no but there's a lot of movies that i really like that i wouldn't right, recommend to not, my mother <laughs> that's not my point I, I just think we we talked about a while back the broadness of our recommendations. Like when we do the fixies, like our top our top ten movies of the year would sound like ringing endorsements for all of them, which we love those movies. But like you recommend uncut gems differently than you recommend Little Women, so. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, Uncut Gems is a better movie. It's closer movie. to the Uncut Gems. But I'm just, my, my, my hesitancy to wholeheartedly recommend this movie is that I don't think there's a large population of people that will get out of this what we got out of it. And all right, to all our Rus- Russian listeners, I highly recommend. <laughs> yes. How are we doing in Russia, by the way, Chapin? We're doing We're doing okay. <laughs> Um, okay, like uh, I would recommend. That keeps I would recommend it as well. I think this is an incredible film. I, I agree with you, Lee. That I I don't know that I would. I don't know that that it has the sort of cinematic value beyond what we've discussed to be maybe a classic. But boy, like I think you can learn a lot from this film, and it's a, it's virtuoso filmmaking. So moving on to our top five, which I've just finished. Um, we will be doing our top five scenes of war atrocities. <laughs> I keep getting this Horrors wrong. of war. Yeah. Yeah. Horrors of war scenes. Um, obviously inspired by this film. Come and see. Uh, I'm going to kick us off, guys. I don't have much criteria. Let's not linger on our criteria, especially because this episode is running long. Um, and... You know, I just sort of went for, you know, I know there's a lot of obvious ones. There's going to be a lot of obvious picks in mine, but I try to think of like some unique elements here. Like what, you know, what was, what, what about these films like really stuck with me? Um, And this is going to be kind of a funny one. So this is from Terrence Malick's The Thin Red Line. It's the scene when uh, Woody Harrelson, I blew my butt off. I blew my butt off. (laughs) 
Um, just it's like a really, Isaiah, it's a really just like hor- Isaiah Whitlock Jr. does it in five plots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really kind of horrible scene with the, with a with a funny line that you know you only laugh at when you're repeating it to your friends, but. Um, they're just kind of like standing around waiting for the enemy and um, Woody Harrelson pulls a grenade by accident and realizes that he it's, you know, still strapped to him and he jumps and, you know, jumps on top of it, rolls over on it and he dies. And it's, it's this just awful moment when both you're watching him knowing he's going to die and he's got this awful injury. You don't see it, which I think is powerful, but it's also just like the, the sort of, awfulness of war randomness yeah the randomness and sort of like the these deaths that you know don't you know kind of have really any impact from the enemy but but happen yeah i was trying to think of the i haven't seen the thin red line in so long it's always been one of my favorite malik movies oddly but i it's a movie i need to see again i certainly remember that scene because of that line but i blew my butt off yeah Who's up? Uh, Lee, please go. All right. Um, My number five, and I was looking, I think, at least based on your pick, Chapin, I was was looking for scenes that I would watch and just be like, and and really empathize with what the character was going through. That what the character or characters in the scene had to deal with because of the situation they were in was, was horrible or atrocious. Um, so sorry, Chapin. I'm gonna s- potentially steal one of your picks. Um, it's the arm amputation in Master and Command of the Far Side of the World. Um, oh, that's so good. You didn't steal anything. Wow. Brilliant. Little, Bla- little Blakely, right? Um, Lord Blakeney. Lord Blakeney gets his arm severely injured in the opening battle and has to have it amputated by Doctor Paul Bettany. Um, and as we learn, he's the bravest patient he's ever had. Um, but if you strip that scene down and take this 10 year old, 12 year old, whatever he is that has to bravely withstand an arm amputation, it's just horrible. Like it's just the idea behind that being the only option back then. And the way it has to have been done is just a horrible idea and image to think about. And, the well, you talked about the randomness with your pick, Chapin, but the routineness of something like this back then is kind of incredible. Yeah, that's a good pick. I didn't would not have even thought about it. Um, and that goes to a lot of sort of sword and sandals wars too. It's just like if you get fucked up in one of those, there's yeah. no medic coming. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's it. Um, all right, so my number five, I am going to go with, there's a scene when I was watching uh, the De Palma documentary, um, it sort of brought up casualties of war, and I forgot how like big of an asshole Sean Penn's character is in that. I haven't seen um, that. And there's a sure scene where either. he's trying to, he's trying to call Michael J. Fox a pussy, and gay for not wanting to rape this Vietnamese prisoner that they um that they've captured. Uh 
and it's like a long scene. It's like a five minute scene where he's trying to convince him and because everybody else is going to do it and they don't want somebody to not be that be be uh, participating in this. Um, it would be higher if because Sean Penn's really good, but Michael J. Fox really isn't that great in it. Um, That's interesting. He's just like middle of Back to the Future sort of persona, and it's hard to take that seriously in in this movie that's dealing with such atrocious things. Um, so, yeah, that's my number five. Yeah, I'm not sure I've seen that movie either. It's hard to picture Michael J. Fox in a war movie. It's hard. It's, it, it is. When he's <laughs> even in it. in it. Yeah, even as you're watching even it. Even in it, yeah. It's weird casting. Okay. Um, God, my list is so conventional. My number four is... Uh, the Patriot. <laughs> <laughs> is the sniper scene from Schindler's List. You know, if you think about Schindler's List, it is about the Holocaust and you see a bunch of terrible, terrible things. But there, you know, one of the criticisms of that of that film is that you actually don't, there isn't, it isn't really about the awfulness of the Holocaust. It's a hopeful story. And so you don't see a lot of your main characters go through what happened at the Holocaust. But there is that one scene, which is, which is based on, a, you know, which is real, which is, um, uh, Ray finds from his <clears throat> mansion above the work camps, just gets up in the morning, picks up a sniper rifle and t- starts taking people out, you know? And I think really what it is, is just like the, just the, the, as you said, Jeremy, like this, the lack of value for, for life, you know, like he had just, just shows you how little they cared about these people, you know? And, what they thought of them. And it's an awful scene. And, um, again, it's not, you know, the first thing I think of, I, you know, you think of like the ovens and that scene and, um, Auschwitz, but, uh, yeah, that's my number four. Yeah. I wanted to have a Schindler's list pick on my list, but I, I really need to revisit that movie. You don't find it. that I, I couldn't you don't rem- find it that atrocious. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to, but eh, not that bad. Um, yeah, it's just been so long since I've seen that one. All right, I got a scene with a sniper rifle for my number four, too. Um, I have to admit, I, I do have some problems with this pick, and it has to do sort of with how I interpret this scene and this movie, um, but it's the opening scene in American Sniper, uh, which also served as the trailer with uh, Chris Kyle up in his sniper's nest the convoy's coming in and he sees the woman and the kid come out the woman gives the kid the explosive and he has to shoot the kid and that's that's horrible i mean that's horrible for anybody and you know you imagine a a person in that situation having to make that decision knowing the ramifications if they do or don't um and i think that that's impactful The, the problem i have with it i think is that that scene and that movie is set up to show you how good he is at his job and how great of an American he is for doing that. And I think that's sort of the opposite of recognizing how horrible it is that children are put through such things and killed because of it in these wars. Um, So again, interpret that scene however you want. It is a horror of war that that happened. You you don't think it's like more about him, the, the awful choices those people have to make. I think that is there, but I think, I, I think I, I think you can interpret it that way. I don't think that that's what the movie's trying to say in that scene. I, I Unfortunately, I think that that scene is set up to be like, this guy is the greatest 
American sniper with all these confirmed kills. And I think that's what a lot of that movie explores. Um, and it hurts the movie to have a little bit too much of a conservative point of view. I think there's some really good things about that movie, but that hurts it. And including in that opening scene, which worked better as the trailer really got me excited to see the movie. But Okay. It. All right. Um, my number four. Yes, please. Uh, we're going to have another Malik movie here. I'm going to do the ending of a hidden life. Uh, I thought it was a bit of a different pick. Um, you know, you have a guy who decides to not participate in the war in any way, shape or form. And because of that, he gets executed and you, there are a lot of feels in that, in this movie, especially at the end. Um, and I guess the ending, I'm, I'm including that scene where his wife sort of comes to the prison to maybe beg him or ask him one last time to sign the papers so that he would be spared for the family. Um, but, and then he has to wait his execution by literally waiting in line and God, that scene uh, was you just, terrible. Jesus. You just kind of wonder what, how, how do you walk to the next thing? How, you know, it, you know, behind that curtain, there's a gu- guillotine, and your your head's going to be cut off. I mean, yeah. To put it, so, to put yourself in the position, just like, what is this person thinking at this moment? Is what really yes, makes some it, of these scenes so impactful. And that's why that is my number four. All right. Um, my number three comes from the film Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket. Um, and but but you know there's a lot of moments in that Lee. So okay, um, mine mine is the end when they discover who the 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 person who's killed a lot of their men and who eventually is is killed by I believe our main character and it's the female um, Viet Cong sniper. She's she's a woman, right? Like yeah. Um, homaged she's, she, very clearly in the five bloods she's very young um and she's sitting there and they watch her die um and yeah it's just a terrible terrible moment because you see that both you know like it's not these the the other side is not these hard hard ass men it's this teenage girl you know who decimated their platoon or their squad or whatever and um she's a good shot yeah a couple good a bunch of good shots okay yeah my number three is also from full metal jacket different scene though it's a scene that's horrified me ever since i saw it at a much too young of an age and it's i think the most horror horrible scene in the movie it's the bathroom scene the end of boot camp Mm -hmm. um when D'Onofrio kills the drill sergeant and then shoots himself. That, that to me, is, in essence, the horrors of war. I just think what that character goes through and how it breaks him down before he even gets to war, but just being in the military and being trying and people trying to train him to be prepared for the horrors of war, he goes through these horrors that are unthinkable and breaks down and cracks and commits a murder-suicide. And the scene scared the living shit out of me when I was a kid and still frightens me. And it's part of the ominous way that Kubrick captures it, but it's also just the 
idea behind what happens to this character in what was truly a amazing performance from D'Onofrio that he never even came close to matching. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the scenes that lead up to that, that make me, I mean, Arlie Emery or whatever his name is, is, you know, fucking incredible as, as that drill sergeant role. But I think the role, you know, when they all, everybody in the, in the squad yeah, gangs up, up on him. Yeah. It's just yeah. awful. Yep. And he's crying. Yeah. That's, and he's like this big guy and you know, he's kind of a, kind of a goof, but they beat him with the soap and he's just crying. And he's just like, this sounds like a little kid and he's just clearly, clearly lost. And it's just, it's so good. Yeah. All right. Um, my number three is from that movie that uh, Lee criticized, but it is the scene in Black Hawk Down when the two guys decide to go in to protect the the pilot who's in you know crashed in oh, his yeah. Black Hawk, and they 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 say, "Are you sure you want to do it?" They give them the option several times, knowing that hundreds of um, you know soldiers are coming after them and they still decide to do it and um yeah and they get killed that. I, it doesn't work it, and they don't doesn't work out yeah well. i had i had that as an honorable well i had the the durand capture as an honorable mention so basically what what that seed leads into um those those two guys have been killed he's left there runs yeah. out of bullets sees all these guys come and knows he's going to be captured and ron elger just sits there an actor that i don't particularly like but i think is fine in that movie and and you get this wide shot of all the Mogadishu people carrying the dead body out. And it's just really visceral. Like you're just kind of like, what is this guy thinking again? Like this guy knows he's going to be captured. He has no idea what lies ahead, but then you get fortunately the Duran, we will not leave you behind line later in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I think, um, I think that it's okay for, Look, I mean, war is a reality and a lot of our society has been shaped by it. And so it, not every movie has to be war as hell. Not right. every ha movie has to be anti-war. And that movie, I think, is about, in some respects, at least what you're describing, is about heroes and about what people I, sacrifice. I love that and movie. So it's, I, a great, I, I, it, it's a great movie. It, it, it does have its complications, I will say. Sure, but, um, definitely. But it's, a, it's an amazing piece of directing. Absolutely. Uh, my number two is got to, it's got to be on here. The Normandy, uh, the Omaha beach sequence from Saving Private Ryan. I mean, you, you, you open on that scene and I, I think it was unlike anything anybody had ever seen at that point. And you just see the way that Spielberg, um, you know, just is able to, it, that is like the horrors of war right there. It's just like, you know, you, we've, we, we, at that point, you know, we had, you know, the great, you, you think about the great escape. These guys are like heroes. They're like the everyman. They're like the Paul Newman types. And then you open up and like, they're just slaughtered. They're just blown to bits. And, you know, we won that war and it's, it, there's all this hero, hero, heroism. Is that a word? What am I saying? What am I trying to say? Heroism. Her, heroism surrounding it. And, I think that movie kind of th that opening sequence kind of just wiped the slate clean. I mean, the movie finds itself wandering back to that same viewpoint, but um, I think uh, it was a shocking sequence. And 
amazing. Yeah, terrifying. I would say, I would say that "Come and See" is the closest I've actually seen and felt to being dropped into war since seeing that opening of Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, my number two also has to be on the list. Much to Chapin's chagrin, it is the Russian roulette sequence in The Deer Hunter. I mean, this, realistic or not, is... Chapin, get over that point. Realistic or not, this is a representation of the horrors of war. And it's something that you have a visceral reaction to, and it is something that you never, ever forget. And you can only imagine how it shaped the characters that went through it and how it uh, launches the rest of this movie. Um, So we have a whole podcast on this movie and a very good portion of it is spent discussing that. You can check out our 100th episode uh, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, My number two is also the deer hunter. (laughs) So uh, I, but I will go with, I wanted a representation on this list of a soldier the horrors of coming back home. Yeah. So I, I decided to go with like uh, De Niro visiting Stevie oh, in the yeah. hospital. That's good. Um, I guess because a big part of war is if you survive it, you have to acclimate back into society, and that's you know a lot of times not portrayed on you know, in movies because it's not the sort of glamorous part. So in the deer hunter, they, they do that really well. Um, cause this whole, you know, second half of the movie is post Vietnam. Yeah. You could just take that whole sec third act. I mean, especially to see the difference between his character in the first act and the third act, you, you see what the horrors of war has done to him. We don't need to relitigate it. I, I, I totally agree. I think that that's, what's so powerful about that film and why the, the first hour makes you is so important as you feel you see who these people were before war my problem with it is just that like vietnam is this russian roulette scene it's not like there's no other horrors that happen to them it's just this one scene which is incredibly tense and well executed but you know if you really wanted to you know it doesn't matter moving on (laughs) check out our hundredth episode listen to the podcast Yeah. yeah Right, I don't think I articulated it very well. And my number, number one, one is the Ninth Cavalry Regiment's attack from a te- from Apocalypse Now. And my favorite. Wait, speaking of unrealistic. Why? Isn't that the helicopters yeah. going through the? Yeah. <laughs> that happened. Yeah, with oh, that yeah. music playing. But music the re- the reason I find that sequence the very poignant is when. <laughs> When Danny McBride hits the explosive yeah. button. Yeah. And, uh, what is it? Mother Nature just shit her pantsuit. <laughs> uh, but uh, is when, you know, they've just like decimated this little fishing village. And then the Viet Cong, I think it's actually a woman, again, throws a grenade in one of the one of the uh, Hueys and it blows up. And, <laughs> and uh, Robert Duvall goes, ah, fucking animals. <laughs> <laughs> And it's so, I mean, you laugh, but like that's... He's so good, yeah. That's the way you watch that movie. Like you, they just like, you think yeah. of them as as foreigners and as not not Americans. And then once those Americans blow up, you're like, oh no, something's going wrong. But like, they've just like wiped out a town. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, all right. My, my number one has to be 
Sophie's Choice in Sophie's Choice. Um, ah, good thinking. So I don't really know what's what is worse than that, having to make that decision, choosing between her two children. Well, you'll never have um, to make it. That's right. I, that's why I only had one. <laughs> Sophie's Choice too. Must be this one then. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's that to me is is the most horrible thing I can imagine happening to a person. Um, for so many reasons. One, just that having to make that decision, but she's also not fighting in the war. Like she shouldn't have to be there. And she is, and she's forced to make that decision. It shapes her entire life and shapes the rest of that below average movie. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember if I even liked that it's movie. It's not that good. It's just I I just think she picked the wrong one. She, yeah, she she'd be fine otherwise. All right, my number one I had to pick one scene from Saving Private Ryan, but I'm gonna go instead of the Omaha Beach one, I'm gonna go with um when Giovanni Rabisi's oh, character God, dies. When the medic dies. Mama. It's just Mama. It's just tough, tough death to watch. And like it really does a good job of just showing you what in the moment you're like all these soldiers had to watch their friends die. And that's, you know, how many times did that happen to each one of those guys who survived that they had to watch somebody else? Well, in that movie, die. five. Um, I mean, just you see, you see Vin Diesel die, you well, see Gina Ryan Urbisi die, and then. Well, I guess not all of them are in front of him. You see, uh, Adam Goldberg. Yeah, not guy. all of them are in front. <clears throat> it was uh, it was close between that and Isaiah Whit- Whitlock Jr. jumping on that grenade. <laughs> yeah, that's so tough. It's the horrors of war, man. They never leave. Horrors of oh. war. Grenade. Belly flop. Okay, well that's going to do it for this rather long edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Thank you for sticking with us. Um, what depressing Soviet film are we going to do next, guys? Actually, I, I really would like to know. What are we going to do next? Um, uh, Lee, are we going to do that new movie? Well, I had a couple suggestions. The Vast of Night is yep. available we'll on Prime. That. 2020 movie. We could we're also do, do the Greyhound. Uh, Greyhound. Starring yep. Tom Hanks. We're going to do that. Another World War II. I bet there's some I horrible, horrible war Greyhound. stuff in that movie. They're going to um, rain hell down from on high. But they're in a submarine. How are they? No, they're on a battleship. Are they just a higher submarine? Oh, I thought he was on. Oh, he's not in a submarine. No, I don't want to watch it. I think uh, he's about on a battleship. Yeah, I, I think he's. I think he's. I'm, in a I'm gonna watch it. So if we can review it, if you guys want. But do you? Okay. Well, no. let's. This is a hundred and twenty hour and twenty. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. Recommend us. That'd be great. You, you know, maybe not this episode, but All some our episode. podcasts are available in Russian. As yeah, well. translated to Russian. That's a huge expense we're going to for that one guy who listens. So, but just spread imagine the, word. the just imagine the ruples. <laughs>